times I find that we turn Sunday morning into something that's this other, right? And and many times we find that actually sometimes the space we get in is called a sanctuary, right? And something about our nomadic roots here tells us that our sanctuary can be anywhere. It can be anywhere that we show up in the name of Jesus. As a matter of fact, that's part of our confession about family groups. It used to be because that becomes a sanctuary at family groups. Something happens when we gather in the name of Jesus that is different than what happens anywhere else. But that doesn't mean it's a location-specific thing. So there's something about just wherever we gather, we come together in his name, and we find a blessing there, or hope there, or joy there, or peace there. But we can turn this experience that we have together into something totally different, totally other. And the problem with that, I would say, to, to anyone who just comes on a Sunday and then goes back home is they think that this is the holy place, Right? That this is the place. Now, I, I get it. I come and I'm fed here and I love it here. But there's a sin against God when we're out in that spot. We sing those from the deepest, darkest place we find ourselves throughout the week. That if we don't know that in that place, God is present. In that place, God is still with us. And uh, I hope that that's a lesson we can learn, maybe through who we are as a church, maybe through what we do with family gatherings, but maybe how we could just, you know, with the football game on Friday night, we were up there, and we just had this great time together, hanging out and cooking food, and, and just maybe we can learn that, that this isn't a holy place, this isn't a this isn't special time, but it is, because I've been there, and I understand what it means to gather. So I just want to say that up front, that we're going to be doing something differently. Now, that is all to say that sometimes we make this something that's not very human, this Sunday morning thing. We go and we put on our faces. And this, again, is a sin against God and a sin against each other because then nobody can be honest about who they are, right? If everybody's wearing a nice church face, then nobody can be honest about who they are. Do you agree with that? Like, it's just the way we show up for worship because we're here. We tell it to our kids. We teach them when they're very young. We're going to talk. This is a great day to be in elementary school because we're going to talk about how we raise our children in the faith. And we tell our children lies, like put on your church clothes. You know, did you, any of you see that debate the other night where that little girl is slicking down her brother's hair? Did you see that? That was cute, right? But we know that she's learned that, right, from somebody. You know, here you go. You got something. Because there's something that we say. If we look good enough, if we act good enough, if we put on the right clothes, if we say the right words, then we're, we're not lost. Then we're not in need of hope or an encouragement or, my friends, a savior. And that's not what we believe as a body. That's not what I believe as a Christian. I believe that no matter what we wear or where we show up, we always need our savior, Jesus. And so in order to affect that in our lives, we're talking about discipleship and what it means to be a disciple. And I've said this for three weeks in a row, but discipleship is nothing more than being a learner after Jesus. That's all it means. It means continuing education for the rest of your life about who Jesus is, where Jesus is going, and going with him there. Does this make sense? So I have a question. We've been focusing this, this last few weeks on three specific disciples of Jesus, and I have a question for you, and this is, this is the question. I told you, pop quiz. Who are they? How many of you hated pop quizzes when you were in school? I see, I got to teach for a while, and I love pop quizzes <laughs> because it's not so much about you not having the right answer. It's about are we even learning something together? Who, who can give me one? There's three of them. We know them. I know you all know them. Barnabas, right, was the first two weeks ago, and then... Paul, and this week is, you guys have read ahead. You already know it's Timothy this week, right? So we've been talking about that. What was Barnabas known, what, what was Barnabas known for among his colleagues, his brothers? 
Yeah, being an encourager. He was, he was known, his nickname was Son of Encouragement. That was what Barnabas actually means. And we talked about what that means, to come along people. It actually means to, encourage means to draw someone over and say, hey, come here, come here, and then show them something great that's going on. Encourage them on the path. Encouragement is a funny word, right? Because we say, let's encourage one another. But when do you need courage? When do you need courage? Do you need courage when you've like just won the game? You know, do you need courage whenever you've had the most, the greatest day of your life? No, see, that's not when Barnabas comes alongside of you. A Barnabas comes in that pit when you're down and you're out and he's saying, get up, you can do this. And you stand up and you dust yourself off and you go, I'm not done. It, it comes at the time when you've lost the big game. That's when encouragement comes. It means to give courage, to take courage for the fight ahead. And this is what we believe about Barnabas. He's one who would go to you, and this is what we can do to each other and say, take courage. You're down, but you're not out. Do you know why we say that with such conviction as Christians? Because we have Jesus Christ who, who defeated everything on our behalf. Big, big things, big thoughts. And then what was Paul about, do, this idea of Paul? Do anyone know? We said, Paul was this guy who was always way out ahead, you know, Barnabas was the guy who encouraged Paul to get up and, and keep at it, but Paul just took off, you know. We talked about running that race, and Paul did, ran that race, man. He just whew, he was gone, right? And I encourage you to find a Paul to pursue, to find someone to imitate, to emulate, to, to be, to go and, and, and learn from them, just from either observation or interaction or actually dwelling with that person. It's something that Paul did well for so many people and still does for the church today. So much of, of what we say is sound doctrine we get from the Apostle Paul, which is kind of funny, right? That we get the sound teaching from Paul. But he was so far ahead of the pack on this stuff that he wrote so much material that we still have for us today. And then today we're going to talk about Timothy and, um, you know, what, how we actually pour into other people. That's what this lesson's going to be about today, is how to pour into other people. And, uh, and, but before we begin, we start where we always start, which is with prayer. So I'd invite you to pray with me this morning. Father God, we, we come to this place, and all of life has just been shoving us along, just racing us forward, Lord. And, uh, and sometimes we might feel like we're lost in it, like we can't catch our breath. Today, Lord, I pray that you would give us space to breathe, that, uh, that this sanctuary would be a sanctuary of time. And that we might actually open our ears again to hear your word and uh, that, that it might speak deeply into our souls because we find ourselves so lost and we find ourselves so in need of a savior. And today, Lord, we pray that by the gift of your Holy Spirit, by the very dwelling of the Holy Spirit today, Lord, we might learn and grow and be renewed and, uh, and give glory to you for all that you've done, for all that you've done for us, Lord. And we just thank you. We give you this time and place. We pray you'd open the word to our minds, that you'd open my lips, Lord, to speak truth. You'd open our ears to hear it wherever we're listening, Lord, that you might reveal to us your eternal plan. And we give you uh, glory and honor in spite of ourselves, Lord. We profess you as our sovereign Lord. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. So we're going to get into Timothy this week, because this is the third week of this, these three disciples here. We're not done talking about discipleship, by the way. I'm going to give you a heads up on that at the end of the message. But, but I want to talk here about Timothy this morning. And before we turn to Timothy, I want to, I want to say one more thing about the Apostle Paul, a recap on Paul. Because, you know, sometimes, I don't know, you ever make a mistake? Do you ever do something? You go, oh, what was I thinking? I'm sure you don't, but I do. 
and I was looking through here, and something that I didn't quite talk about last week is, is what was so profound about the Apostle Paul's conversion. He was Saul, right? And I don't know if I said this, but I want to be sure to say it because I think it's such a, a profound thing to learn about why Paul instructs us so well. Paul's conversion demonstrates the unbelievable love of God and the ultimate lordship of Jesus, and I'll tell you how this happens. Because Paul is the guy who is knocked off the horse after the ascension into heaven. Paul is someone who is just living his life like you, and God shows up and, and speaks directly to Paul in that moment in time. And it gives us great hope as those who are not apostles, who are not the ones who saw Jesus on earth, that we can rely not just on their confession to us through the text, but that we know that we have a God who will show up and speak to us right where we are. I was in a meeting one time sitting around with a bunch of other church leaders, and I said, we were talking about some weird doctrine stuff, right? Some people, you ever get uncomfortable? I've talked about it before. You get uncomfortable with doctrine? We were talking about some stuff, and somebody goes, yeah, but that stuff's way out there. That stuff is way, that stuff is, oh, it's, it's out there, you know? And I said, let me ask you all a question. And by the way, I want to confess, this wasn't here, so don't be looking around at the leaders going, which one of you did? <laughs> I said, how many of you have, have heard God speak to you? Do you know everybody raised their hand? And I said, what a bunch of weirdos. And they kind of, you know, we all laughed <laughs> because we've all heard it. We all sense that voice, that beckoning, that, that thing that professes, that comes to us in our quiet time, in our quiet place. It comes sometimes loudly when you need to convert, when you need to repent from your sins. It comes very loudly then. But other times in our lives, we hear it. And sometimes we're so busy, we quash that still, quiet voice. But we have it, and the Apostle Paul had it. And it happened after the ascension that Jesus came and intervened directly in his life. The same is true of us. It appears, uh, Jesus appears to the worst of us because Paul says, I was a hater of Jesus in his church. I mean, he persecuted him. And that's a great confession to those of us who've been haters of Jesus Christ, that he comes and speaks into our lives as well. And then he appears to Paul and immediately Paul says, Lord, to him. And there's this immediate lordship and we don't know what that means anymore to be Lord, right? We say the word Lord, but it means this kind of idea of ruler, of someone who you owe everything to. And not just that, but you take commands from and we don't do that well, right? This is the generation for it, especially, you know, you, you throw off those old burdens. But here we find ourselves bearing the burden of Jesus, which is what we're called to do as, as disciples. And it's from this guy, Paul, who races ahead that we hear the story of Timothy. And so I'm going to go through a little bit of the history of Timothy here. And then we're going to flip around a little bit in our Bibles, and we're going to hit our main text in a few minutes. But Timothy, I say, who is Timothy anyway? Who is this Timothy guy? We've all heard his name. Timothy is a young disciple in Lystra who Paul found, found on his second missionary journey. I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16 says this. It's a very simple text, but it says, He came to Derb and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was a Jewess, Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, that would be Timothy. And Paul wanted to take him, that would be Timothy, along on the journey. And so he circumcised him because of the Jews who knew his father was a Greek. And they traveled from town to town, delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for people to obey. So Paul is being sent out on this mission to, to bring these this decisions that are made by the by the those who are ruling in Jerusalem, about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And on the way, he meets this guy, Timothy, a young disciple, it says, in Lystra. 
And something else that's interesting to note here is that he meets Timothy after he parts ways with Barnabas. Now, we talked about Barnabas and Paul, and they're going along, and, they're just, and Barnabas is encouraging, they're traveling together, but then they have this parting of the ways over John Mark, right? So they part ways over John Mark, and that, after that is when he takes Silas, Paul takes Silas to go, and he meets Timothy on the road on that trip. So it's kind of interesting. Timothy is mentioned in 10 of the 13 epistles written by Paul, plus he's mentioned in Hebrews. His name is everywhere throughout the New Testament. And it's funny because we don't, if you really study what, he, what, he, what we know of him, it's not a lot. But he's always there. He's this guy who's always beside Paul. And, and so many times, I'll tell you, so many times when, he, when Paul's writing a letter, matter of fact, when Paul writes the letter of Romans, Timothy is there. He sends his greetings with Timothy. Whenever um, he writes to the Corinthian church, Timothy is with him. When Paul writes to the Philippians, Timothy's with him. When he writes to Colossians, Timothy's with him. When he writes to Thessalonians, the Thessalonica church, Timothy's with him, and the Philemon, Timothy's with him as well. Not only was he with Paul when he was writing all these letters in the New Testament, right? But he was sent by Paul to Corinth and to Thessalonica, which is kind of interesting because not only was this guy someone who was there with Paul when he was writing these letters, he's the guy who was running the race with Paul, you see, but he's this guy who Paul entrusted to send out to bring words, to bring encouragement, to bring letters, as a matter of fact, to those churches. And so Paul, or Timothy was sent out. And then, like I said, not only did he get sent out these places, but then Paul, of course, traveled to all these places. And when Paul went, Timothy went. That's why he would send a greeting in Timothy's name, because they knew who Timothy was. He had been there before. So this is where, this is where um, Timothy comes into the text. So many times, 10 of the 13 epistles, he's everywhere. If, if you ever want to do a study on it, it's amazing, because he's, he's sprinkled all throughout. And then not only that, but of course we know that there are two epistles that are written directly to Timothy himself, right? And of course, who writes those epistles to Timothy? The Apostle Paul. So Paul's writing to Timothy directly. The first book written to Timothy is 1 Timothy, of course. <laughs> and it's from, written from Macedonia to Timothy, and it's about church matters in Ephesus, right? And, and it's kind of how to run the church in Ephesus, because he'd been sent to Ephesus, or he'd actually been left, I'm sorry, in Ephesus, and he's writing back to Ephesus to tell him some, some core instructions about what he should be teaching the church in Ephesus, because Timothy's there, he's a young leader, and everyone's telling him what to do. And some of the things Paul doesn't agree with, and Paul's there when the church started, so he thinks, hey, I should have an opinion. So he writes this letter to Timothy, and he encourages him about something about the way the church in Ephesus should be run. That's the first letter. And the second letter, which is what we're going to look at today, is a letter written, again, by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, the disciple. And it's written from Rome. And it's written from Rome when Paul was imprisoned there and imprisoned there the second time, okay? And so this is a big deal. This letter comes to a different place, a letter from Macedonia when he's writing about how to manage the church in Ephesus. This is a letter to Timothy from Paul. In fact, this is the last letter Paul wrote before his death. And it was written to his disciple, the disciple Timothy, his friend. Timothy is the, the first second generation Christian that the Bible mentions. And I'm going to turn 2 Timothy, the very beginning uh, opening verses here, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. This is going to be our main text for the day. You can pop those up if you want to for me, the page number and everything. This is where we're going to work from. We're going to hit a couple other texts, but I want to just show this to you right quick. 1 Timothy, chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and, I am persuaded, 
now lives in you also. So here's this Paul is writing, and I just, I just want that little bit for a minute to say that he's a second generation Christian. You see, his grandmother and his mother were converts to Christianity. And Timothy was someone who was raised in the faith. And we'll learn about that a little later. But he's someone who was raised in the faith. So he's a second generation Christian. He's a person, not only a second generation Christian, a person of promise. I'm going to turn to 1 Timothy, just back a couple pages if you want to follow with me. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This is when Paul's writing to him in Ephesus, and he says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them, you may fight the good fight, holding on to the faith and a good conscience. And so here he is writing, and he's saying, Timothy is not just a guy who's on a mission from God, but he's a guy who someone has spoke profound things about. He's someone who has been full of hope and promise, and Paul is pouring his life into this young man as he seeks to, be, to, be, to follow Jesus in his life as well. This is important because I, it raises a question for me. And I don't know if any of you have this concern. We're, you know, here's a struggle for me. I, I, wasn't, I was raised in the church, but I wasn't raised as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense at all? I was raised in a church where I was taught all the facts about Jesus. I was taught all about facts about the disciples. I was taught all the facts about things that happened, the the, the, the the physicality of it, I guess, or the, the realness of it. But I wasn't, I, but not the realness is a bad word, because I wasn't taught about the truth that Jesus died for me. And therefore, while I was raised in this tradition that taught me all the facts, the truth. And I hope you've had that experience. Maybe you weren't raised in the church at all. Maybe you weren't even comfortable in church. Maybe your parents never went to church. And it's funny but the truth of the matter is that if you were never raised in the church, you have a better chance of understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ than people who've been raised in the church from birth. All right? Because you get it. Because you've been out there and you know that you need a savior. And you're like, wow, here's the trouble. If you're raised in the church, you can be lulled into the belief that you know. And they ask the questions and you know the answers. You're always the first one with your hand up in class. Okay? And, but you don't know any of the truth that Jesus came to die for you. And that, my friends, is a truth that gives you new life. That, that's the truth that reconfigures your whole orientation. It's called repentance. And goads you toward following Jesus. Presses you on. So what do I care so much about this anyway? Right? Because I know Jesus. I get it. I'll tell you why I'm so concerned. Because I'm raising children in the church. So when I read Paul in Timothy and saying, remember the promise, remember the prophecy about you, fight the good fight, keep up the good work, it's because someone has to pour into those young folks who have taken it for granted their whole lives. They've always heard the message, but they don't know the truth. And he's pouring into this young disciple saying, keep going. You see, it's a big deal. It's a hard thing when you know all the answers but don't know the truth. And so I just want to say that I have a great passion for what Paul's doing here. And I'm going to ask us to do something a little different when we're looking at the second letter to Timothy, to not read it like it's a list of do's and don'ts, to not read it like it's for us to cut apart and turn into something that was never intended to be, but to hear the text, to hear it for what it is. An impassioned plea to a young disciple 
from an apostle on his deathbed. This is what Paul writes in 2 Timothy. And I pray that we would find ourselves in our day, in our time, following his example. Read with me. 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 1, verse 2. To Timothy, my dear son, Paul writes, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am persuaded lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame this gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a power of timidity, but of spirit, of a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about your, our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time. But it, was, it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have, in whom I have believed. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you and guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. These opening words from the second book, or the second uh, letter to Timothy, is just this outpouring, outpouring from Paul. And I want to look in, in verse 3. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day I have constantly read my prayers. And it's funny that Paul would claim that he serves as his forefathers served, as one with a clear conscience. But Paul always, always was open to the truth. Something that I think we can learn as disciples from the Apostle Paul. That even when he was on that horse riding in to persecute Christians, he was open to being turned around if God would speak. And some of us get our wrong-headed hats on. And we're going to go this way come hell or high water. Even if God would speak to us, we would not repent. And this is something that Paul is open to, though. And so Paul can claim there that I've always served God with a clear conscience because whenever I believed that God was going this way, I was going this way. And when he was going that way, I'm going that way. And Paul was open to repentance. And then he says here, I constantly remember you in my prayers. And I want you to hear this next part too. In first, verse four, he says, recalling your tears, right? This is, this is Timothy's tears. He's remembering something about Timothy that, that was painful to Paul. I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. Have you ever had a relationship like that? Have you ever had a relationship with someone who, who loves you so much and the last time you left them, you were just hurting? 
you were wounded or you were broken or you were struggling or whatever it was, and, and this person just wants to see you so their joy can be complete, I tell you the first thing I think happened when he saw him was hugs, you know? Do, do you know what I'm saying? I remember whenever I was a kid, there was this guy, Grandpa, I called him Grandpa Eddie, he wasn't my grandpa. This guy, would, he would walk to church every Sunday morning. And then he would walk home after worship every Sunday morning. And he would just, and we would pass him in our car. We would just room right by Grandpa Eddie. And then finally we decided to pull over and be weird Christians and ask him if he needed a ride. And he took a ride from strangers. And we went and we worshiped with Grandpa Eddie. And Grandpa Eddie and I started to grow close as a young boy. And he would put my hands in, his, in my face in his hands and he would smack my cheeks. He was old Italian guy. He came over on a boat from Italy. So this was the real deal. And he would say, oh, my boy, my boy. And if I was hurting, Grandpa Eddie was hurting. And if, and if, and if, and if whenever I got over to see him, even whenever he was on his deathbed, he would call to me and he would say, come here, my boy. And he would hold me close and he would hug me. And he would tell me how special I was, how precious I was. And somehow in those encounters, I heard that voice of God, that I was loved and cared for. And this is what I hear when Timothy's saying, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy again. There's this great pouring into Timothy's life. He said, I've been reminded in verse 5 of your sincere faith right? And he says, it first lived in Grandma Lois and your mother Eunice. We've already talked about this. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. And he says, because I am persuaded lives in you also, I remind you, and this is a great, a great um, encouragement from Paul. And what's so funny is we stick ourselves in Timothy's shoes. Do you do that? Man, I'm Timothy right now. And this is Paul speaking to me. And he says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, what's a little weird is I thought laying on of your hands, you know, again, you get a little, well, it, it's this idea that something that Paul's authority that he's invested in Timothy, it, it doesn't actually mean hand. It doesn't mean hand. And that's okay if it can mean hand, I guess, because it's something about a commissioning he's undergone. But it means he was under the authority of Paul. He was sent under Paul. And there's something about this, this sending out of the disciple Timothy by the apostle that he says, remember and fan into flame the gift of God that you received by my authority. And he says, because God did not give us a spirit of timidity. You see, he's speaking against things in Timothy's life. And I don't know what's going on with Timothy here. I don't know if he's gotten kind of shy about the gospel. Maybe he's gotten a little uncomfortable about crazy Uncle Paul who's in prison in Rome. I don't know. But Paul's writing and saying, my son, my son, Never be timid about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we've been given not a spirit of timidity, says, but of power. That means the ability to get it done. Of love, that's agape love, but like brotherly agape love. And of self-discipline, meaning of right thinking, of a right mind, of a clear conscience. That's why it's not magic stuff that happens on Sunday morning for Timothy or Paul. It's a real deal stuff that happens every day in life. This is the discipleship that Timothy is learning from Paul. And he says, so never be ashamed to testify about our Lord Jesus Christ or ashamed of me as his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. Now, here's a clarion call. You don't want to hear that from your, your mentor, right? Join with me in suffering. I'll sign up, you know. By the power of God, he says, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and his grace, his curries for us. 
This grace was given in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been re revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus. And then Paul just is preaching the gospel here, preaching the gospel, and appeared in our Savior, listen church, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And he was appointed as a herald and apostle of the gospel. But I just want to stop and, and, and ask a question of you this morning. And this became a pivotal question in my life. And this, we talk, why we're talking about discipleship? Because so much of what we focus on is coming to Jesus, that come to Jesus moment, right? Someone said I had to have a come to Jesus meeting with one of my kids the other day. I thought it was a great way to say it. They had to have this real encounter, right? And we have these real encounters with Jesus. But then what's it matter for the rest of your life? of us think that the encounter with Jesus is about a ticket to heaven. And I'll tell you what I'm starting to learn about life. Your salvation is about heaven, but it's about your time here on earth too. It starts right now. And a big, a big way that we fall down as a church is we let you come and receive Jesus Christ and then we say, okay, now go sit in your seat on the bus and wait for the driver to get here. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel is to be lived every day of your life. You are not your own, the text says. You are bought with a price. And this gospel that you are following, it's a transforming gospel that will never leave you where you are. And part of what I believe, and I do believe this, and what's going to change you and transform you is gathering with other Christians outside of the Sunday morning setting and growing to learn and to love and to need Jesus more. Too many of us think, yeah, we got Jesus. He's right here. But that's not where Jesus lives. He lives right there right here. He's always with us, always ahead of us, always behind us, always above us, always below us. So one Sunday, I was at worship, and I was a Christian, you see. I had been raised in the church, and then I had left the church, because that's what you do when I, if you're raised in the church, you leave the church. God help my children, right? And, and, then, um, and, and then God, the living God, came into my basement and knocked me off my horse, you know. And, and, and my life was changed, and I had a community that gathered around me and loved me through that change. And then I was at that community, and I came in, and I had the audacity, and I hope that you, you guys have this audacity with me because it's beautiful. I actually went up to this pastor after he gave this message that morning. And, and, and this pastor's a friend of mine. He's one I get hugs from. He's a, he's a, great, a great follower of Jesus. And I said, that was all right this morning, but I got to be honest with you. I didn't get anything out of it. And, and um, may I confess today the sin I must have committed against the pastor's heart. That right after he brings a message, a word from the truth, something that God has laid on his heart to speak into this body, I would have the audacity to stand outside the doors and say, it didn't do anything for me, pastor. Good job, but I didn't get nothing out of it. But you know what? Even that moment, which I'm sure must have felt painful, that pastor who had the wisdom of the Holy Spirit turned and looked at me and said, well, Bill, maybe today you weren't supposed to come here to get something, but to give something. And for the first time in my life, I began to understand discipleship. And I want to say to you today that maybe you didn't come here to receive another handout, 
but you came to bring something to the God who has gone before you. Maybe you've come to give something to his glory. From that moment on, my experience of worship was different because every time I was there and I was saying, I'm not getting anything out of this, I would hear that voice saying, so what are you supposed to be giving? What are you supposed to be bringing? Where are you supposed to be going? Who are you supposed to be following? Who are you supposed to be teaching? Who are you supposed to be loving? Who needs a hug? Who needs encouragement? Who needs an example? And from that conviction, my friends, I've never, I've never gotten away from it. You may not be here today but to give. And I don't think, I'm not asking you to give something to God because God is complete and whole and needs nothing you have to offer. We bring these things in our hands and they're just the worst things ever, right? But we bring them on our hands to be used for his glory. And, uh, and so I just want to today that if you've had that moment, God might be calling you from your salvation to your discipleship, to one who is following Jesus every day. On your next, and your cards, you have a next steps down there at the bottom. I hope you all got a card. That's why we have individual cards, because these are individual steps you take. You know, and there's a couple of things on there, but one of them is read First and Second Timothy. It says there, read, just read those two letters to Timothy. I encourage you, like I said earlier, if you read those letters, read them written from Paul to Timothy, not as something to be used, you know, um, for our own gain. At least that one time through, we can use it for our own gain later. <laughs> Read it from Paul's perspective, rather than a list of do's and don'ts. I want to say something about Timothy's name here, and, and then we're going to kind of close this series out, but I, I want to say this about Timothy's name. The, the Greek name for Timothy is Timotheos. Timotheos, actually, is the word, and it means honoring God. Now, that was kind of a cool thing, that Timothy's name actually meant to honor God. He was bequeathed with a name when he was a child that would come to fruition as an adult. But actually the word, the, teme, the, the timo, part of that theos, timo theos, that word, actually is the root word is time, and it means a value by which a price is fixed, or a price paid, or a person bought, for a person bought. Actually what's even better than that is it transliterates into English as time. T-I-M-E, which is exactly what we pour into fellow followers of Jesus. Too many times I've, I've been told, this is a waste of time. Church is a waste of time. Family groups are a waste of time. Football, cooking hot dogs, waste of time. It's a waste of time. What a great way to waste time on each other as we learn about Jesus. So in all these ways, we can be a Barnabas, we can chase a Paul. We have to be all these things at the same time, like I said. And spend time with a Timothy. And maybe today you're not here to get but to give. And I would encourage you, I'd encourage you to pray about that. And uh, I want to pray together right now. Father God, we thank you for this time that we've learned from these three disciples of yours. Those who would just learn to follow you, to seek you, to know you more wholly and completely. Um, I just pray, Lord, that if there, that there are hearts today, Lord, and, you know, uh, mine's one. Um, those hearts you need to work in today, Lord, that we would, we would just relinquish the reins, that we'd give you control to work, to do your work among us. I pray today, Lord, that if there are those who aren't knocked off their horse yet, oh, I hope it's a high horse. Because the farther you fall, the more you get the message. And I pray, Lord, you would knock us off our horses today. 
that we would know you not just as Jesus on the cross, but as Jesus, our Lord, the one who came to pay the price. We love you and thank you. We trust you with this, with our souls, with the souls of our children, and with all the work being done among us, Lord, because you are a great God. And we thank you for all these things. In the name of Jesus, amen. See, there was something about 